You're listening to The Bob and Bo Show. Here are your hosts, Ty Bob, Ty Bo, and Sean. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Ty Bob, joined by Ty Bo and Sean. We are coming back to you after a Chiefs Week 16 win over the Seattle Seahawks 24-10. It is the only complete game that we have seen by the Kansas City Chiefs thus far in the 2022-2023 NFL season. And I have to say, I am ecstatic as we gain a little bit of momentum going into the end of the season and through to the playoffs. We've got some big, big chances to be able to move up in the seating. But before we get too much further, it's one thing to note that we finally, in the AFC West, have a team who has claimed themselves to be a competitor to the Kansas City Chiefs for the last uh, 10 years, at least the last seven. Um, But really the last 10 to the Broncos and, and then the Chiefs. It is the Los Angeles Chargers that the media absolutely adores. For what reason, I don't know. Congratulations, Chargers. You have made the playoffs for the first time since the 2018 season. It must feel great to not be bad anymore. Well, that (laughs) bad. Um, But to maybe put you back in your place a little bit, Tybo is bringing you his newest top five. Yeah, it just just came across my mind. Thought I'd do it. Uh, No really rhyme or reason because I don't care that the Chargers made the playoffs this year um, but I don't want to play any top five worst quarterbacks in Chargers history uh, honorable mention Eli Manning the only reason he's relevant is because of two Super Bowl runs that were led by great defenses uh, the trade on draft day, you know, was big news at the time, but super mid when you look back on it. Like, who cares that that happened? Really? Giants fans. Of course. But Eli Manning being their claim to fame or whatever you want, like what they're holding on to um, as, a, as an organization. In the last 20 years, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, number five, the actual top five here. Worst quarterbacks in Chargers history, mind you. Um, number five is Justin Herbert. And the reason why he's number five <laughs> is because, as you guys alluded to, the media loving them, absolutely just slobbering on his knob and him doing nothing. His record is incredibly mid. His, his record looks like Kirk Cousins out there, Mr. Average. He, I mean, cool. He's got some He's got some great numbers through the first couple of years of his career, but he ain't done nothing. And the media pundits think he's done everything. Um, so tired of hearing of it. Um, prove it before you start saying you're one of the best. Number four, Dan Fouts. He's better in the booth than he was on the field. 
And that's all I'm going to say about him. Number three, Philip Rivers. Now, Philip Rivers is on this list because of how much of a crybaby he is. Um, you can call it passionate. You can call him uh, whatever else you'd like to, but he's a crybaby is what it boils down to. Um, he uh, reminds me a lot of the angry side of Peyton Manning, um, but he's just like that all the time. Um, and don't forget, he has a lot of kids. <laughs> he's probably a good dad but uh, bad quarterback <laughs> number two this guy's actually a bad quarterback uh, Billy Joe Tolliver um, notorious for a really really bad stint with the New Orleans Saints um, but he wasn't good when he played for the Chargers either he's number two and the absolute number one consensus worst quarterback in, in uh, Chargers history, L.A., San Diego, wherever the hell they're at, they've always got bad quarterbacks playing for them. Um, Ryan Leaf. Uh, even Chargers fans will say he's the worst quarterback in their history. Drafted number one overall um, and did diddly squat. He was so bad that his teammates beat the shit out of him. Out of the league in three years. Boom, bam. Bop. Into a jail cell. Bada bop, boom. This man's scatting over here. Pow. Yes, Justin (laughs) Herbert deserves to be on that list. (laughs) Justin (laughs) Herbert. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, they haven't had... Like they, they've got co-signed by Ty Bob. Ty Bob believes he wholeheartedly will stand behind my top five worst quarterbacks in Chargers history. I won't disagree with that. No, I, <laughs> that's fine. You can put them in the top five. Please, I, please, Charger, Charger fans, let us, let us hear it. They've got like ten quarterbacks in their entire history, and they stick with all of them there's far too more, long. There's more than that. <clears throat> Consistent starters, <laughs> I should say. When you look at it, you would you could say that they didn't hang on to Drew Brees long enough. No, they definitely didn't, but I think that was also like a medical the medical reason, not his medical issue. It was because it was the same reason why he couldn't go into Miami when Nick Saban tried to bring Drew Brees in. The doctors wouldn't clear him and he ended up going to New Orleans where they were able to clear him much later and bring him in. Um and he was able able to play. Um They've just got to, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with San Diego, LA. Who knows? Um, maybe maybe they can fix Justin Herbert with Sean Payton at the end of the season. We'll kind of have to wait and see what's going on with that. Yes, yes. I, I don't think they're yes. going to fire Brandon Staley for that. I, listen, if... He just made the playoffs. If you are the Los Angeles Chargers owner... And Hall of Fame coach Sean Payton says, I'm bringing in Vic Fangio as my defensive coordinator. I'm going to be the head coach in the OC. I'm going to bring in a young guy who I can groom to be my number two. And I'm going to get a a Hall of Fame coaching staff put together and make sure that we can get Justin Herbert and this team to win the AFC West. 
are you dumping Staley after three seasons to get Sean Payton and a Hall of Fame coaching staff? No, because it's the Chargers. I didn't say the Chargers. I said you. Oh, if I was, absolutely. I would have dumped Staley yesterday for the hint that Sean Payton would be my head coach. And Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator? I mean, it it doesn't matter. Sean Payton, I don't care who he brings after that. I don't care who he brings in after that. Bring me Sean Payton, everything else falls into place. doesn't matter who it is. Unless it's Steve Spagnuolo. Then you're screwed. Uh, they look pretty good. Um, Sean Payton only has one ring, right? Like, yeah. We think he's that good of a coach. You think didn't he have a he bunch was, of bad Saints teams? Didn't he have like a big controversy there too with like bounties and shit? They had they had yep. Bounty Gate, which it was found Sean Payton wasn't involved in. They did the investigation. It was the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. Um, Greg Williams. Doctor um, E. I don't know if if the issues can be blamed solely on Sean Payton um, for any of the miss or the shortcomings that happened while he was in New Orleans. Uh, if you look back at it, he had really bad GMs who gave away really bad contracts to a lot of players, did not draft the best, and yet still got the best out of most, if not all of his players. I mean, look at what happened with Michael Thomas while Sean Payton was there and what happened with Michael Thomas after. Um, He didn't miss any games while Sean Payton was there. And as soon as Sean Payton leaves, the man misses the entire season minus four games because his toe hurts. Just say, I'm just saying. We don't have any news here in Chiefs Kingdom after the win against the Seattle Seahawks. Again, 24 to 10. Uh, we did have a new stat that came out. Number number one, uh, Patrick Mahomes now uh, has beaten 20 or excuse me, 30 of 32 teams. That leaves the Minnesota Vikings for every team in the NFL outside of the team that he currently plays for in the Kansas City Chiefs. So congrats to Patrick Mahomes. He will be able to get the Minnesota Vikings here, if not this year, in what potentially could be the Super Bowl later on in another year or two, depending on what the scheduling looks like coming from the NFL. But in another stat I thought was pretty neat that came from the NFL on CBS, most uh, the quarterbacks with the most seasons with 4,500 passing yards and 35 passing touchdowns, you have Tom Brady at five. Uh, took him uh, 21 uh, uh, seasons. He's got five and 21. You have Peyton Manning, who's got four seasons in 17. You've got Drew Brees with four and 19 seasons. You've got Patrick Mahomes with four in five. And if he was a starter his rookie year, that granted – he he went on the the New Heights podcast with Jason and Travis. All credit to Alex Smith and the way that he's able to prepare for games and for seasons. But I guarantee you, if Patrick Mahomes played his rookie season, it'd be five and five. No question in my mind. Yeah. You you look a little confused, Sean. What's the confusion? There was one year he had twenty seven passing touchdowns, though, right? 
right? They they've got it listed as as four and five. Um, no, sure but those that's to... years as the primary starter. Correct. Which is yeah, he had twenty six touchdowns in twenty nineteen. Did they get that one wrong? How many years was twenty nineteen was the only year that he didn't do it? NFL and CBS. Yeah, so four or five was right. He didn't start one year at all. Four or five oh, okay. started as the primary. So, yeah, okay, that would make sense. So he would be oh, five for six if they counted the first year. If he started his first year, sorry. Right. Okay. Okay. We're past that. <laughs> Jesus, boys. Good lord. No other news in Chiefs Kingdom, no big injuries that came out of the game, anything that we should be worried about. McColl has yet to be activated from um, the uh, injured reserve. He is in his 21-day window, which is slimming down, uh, but he's still, I believe, got another week to go on that. Uh, We'll know by Friday if he's been activated um, at the latest of Friday, if he's been activated for this week's game. Usually we start this off by what went wrong in this game, at least for me. Um, This is, like I said, this is the first complete game that the Kansas City Chiefs have played this season in in my eyes. All four quarters, very strong, um, very few penalties. Did you guys notice anything that went wrong in this game? I don't think the offense played a full four quarters. Um, I I think at times we fell back into what what we've been saying for quite a while, um, some stale play calling, um, but there was never really any sense. There never really needed to be much of a sense of urgency in this game. Um, there was never a time when we felt like they were even close and it was a close game. Um, the defense, when the defense plays like that, even when we play a better team, like there's nobody that's going to stop us. Um, the offense better not dick around, uh, in those games, but you know, it was extremely cold there. Um, (laughs) I had to, I had to leave the game with seven minutes or I had to start walking out to the car with seven minutes left in the third quarter because my toes were numb. I had layered it, layered up as well as I could. And the this the toes couldn't couldn't handle it. I mean, I was warm everywhere else. So I was fine, but but enough I mean, about I'm... me. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to keep going for a little while. Skip a little. So in offense usually on those kind of days, it, it's it's harder to get going. Balls harder to catch. Um, I thought. Everybody but Justin Watson did a good job out there. Uh, that's what went wrong. Justin Watson couldn't catch a ball. That's normal nowadays. In this half of the season, I don't know. I would, I, I would say yes. The the offense did have a few uh, petering outs, but I mean there were there were six punts by Tommy Townsend. But I feel like when you look at this team as a whole, the Seattle Seahawks. That defense is very good. We've been talking about that defense a lot this season. They've got a few pro bowlers. They've got a rookie who has eight-plus interceptions um, and got zero in this game against Patrick Mahomes. 
I feel like even though there there was some some uh, vanilla potentially vanilla play calling, um, the clock was run down well. We had a total of twenty two carries, uh, you know, when rushing the ball. So you know, running down the clock, they ran the ball a lot. There were a lot of dump offs, keeping the clock running. Um, so when you look at you know seventeen points in the first half, as much as the clock ran, I felt like that was pretty good. The third quarter started off rocky, no scores by either of the teams, but again the defensive adjustments made uh, by the Seattle Seahawks it it made sense to me why this wasn't such a high scoring affair, and how we were able to make those adjustments, finishing off the game strong with a few more points just to end it. And then, you know, again, just doing the things that we asked them to do of running the ball, making sure you're getting yards, running the time off the clock. Like that's where it becomes a full, complete game. It's not, it's, it's full game management, adjusting where adjustments need to be made. And when you've got a lead protecting it. And that was one thing that, that we were able to do. Uh, obviously defense helping out big with it as well. Anything, anything, Sean? The only thing I was going to say was going off the offense. This was the first time they had, I think it was three, three or four, three and outs in a row. It was in the second half, granted, but that was still a little rough to see. Just couldn't get the ball moving in the second half. And we seemed to have trouble with play calling in the second half, like normal on offense. So I'm hoping that's kind of a decision made by the play calling unit, um, seeing how the game was mostly in hand, um, the seeing the level of play you were getting out of your defense that day. Uh, and when the playoffs come, that playbook's going to be wide open. I think it will be. I think I, we, we've seen how this team operates as we get towards the end of the season, the last few years with Patrick Mahomes and sealing up kind of the upper spots and trying to kind of get rid of, uh, or trying, trying to throw out some things and um, really not give anything away before the playoffs come. Uh, I, I think this is fairly normal for what we've seen throughout the last few seasons. One of the things that I saw that went right, uh, and I was very surprised at seeing it, the worst tackle in the NFL by the numbers, Orlando Brown Jr. gave up zero pressures this week. Not a one. Not a one? Not one. Interesting. What do we think of the full offensive line performance being able to give Patrick some time this week? Well, if I'm not mistaken, there's not any big names on that defensive line. Um, so kudos to Orlando Brown Jr. Shelby um, Harris. Don't disrespect Shelby Harris. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that's a playoff hopeful team. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad they stepped up. And Pat still ran a little bit. Um, but it was he was more comfortable than normal for sure. That Superman diving touchdown too. Every week a highlight play. I I, uh, I w- 
did you guys know about that rule before it happened? Like he touched the outside of the pylon and I was for sure that was not a touchdown. I thought if it just touched the pylon, it was good. No, yeah. If you haven't touched out of bounds, as long as the ball crosses the it doesn't even have to touch the pylon. If you are if you are like hovering essentially outside on like the white line and you extend the ball to past where the goal line is, it's a touchdown as long as you haven't touched out of bounds yet. This man's out here trying to be Bill Belichick with these rules that nobody else knows. You're just looking at two people that knew that rule. <laughs> Typo. That's the whole reason why people try to touch the pylon is because it's like def- definitive, like, yes, the ball crossed the plane. Yes, I, I understand. I know. Um, I always just – I've never seen somebody touch the outside of it. It was always – or, like you explained, you know, just outstretching the ball while you're still in bounds past the goal line, even though it's out. I was always under the assumption and had never seen that, it, that it was on the inside of the pylon. I thought it was a neat, neat little touch on a rule that – I, yes, you two guys know it, but I sat in a room <laughs> filled with 10 people that we all just went, oh, that's out of bounds. So there's not a lot of people fans. out there that know. You played college ball on my ass. That's a lie. I wasn't a running back, you fool. What do I know? About I, think, touchdowns? <laughs> I think the more impressive part was like the athleticism to – put his hand down inbounds and keep himself elevated to score the touchdown. Um, we need to, I need to go follow Bobby Stroop on, on uh, Twitter right now because his, his whole, like he, he's pretty active on Twitter um, defending uh, chiefs and Patrick Mahomes specifically. Um, but his, his little tweet about combine times and uh, Pat basically outran somebody who runs a four five and, uh, he's got a lot of good nuggets of information, so I'm definitely going to go hit that follow button sometime soon. But it, he usually gets retweet, retweeted on the timeline anyways. So. It comes up quite a bit. Um, one thing, uh, another thing that I did see that went right in this game, Tommy Townsend holding the ball. It's the little things that matter in a game like this when – uh, you see, were you watching? Could you see the laces from the couch? I saw the laces. No, I, I, I paid attention. The laces pointing the correct direction. Nobody called him out on Twitter this week. Nobody <laughs> went on on AM radio to call him out. Um, it looked, Dustin it looked Coldplay pretty solid. Silent, huh? It was very silent. Um, Harrison Bucker did not miss a field goal. It's very interesting. We call something out now. One thing I did notice is so facto. While the holding well, looked good, one goal, but... <laughs> didn't miss any of the extra points. Uh, and, and one thing I did notice, though, is that even though his holds were really good, his punting was shaky. So he practiced a lot of holds this week, but didn't practice a lot of punts. Yeah, yeah. That, you're, you're kicking a rock at that point in that weather. Yeah, that has to hurt. That has to be the worst aspect um, of that, of playing that football game. You're cold all day. You come in there just to punt the ball. And the fact that he had to do it six times on the day, like his his foot was probably sore. <laughs> his first one was pretty decent, and they all went down from that. So, yeah, yeah. 
Like I said, I couldn't feel my feet up in the stands. They got heaters on the sideline, man. I mean, Keep them balls you can only do so much about your toes, bro. <laughs> That's fair. Um, a big day by the defense. We walked away with a total of two sacks, one coming from CJ, the other one from George Karloftis. George has been playing much better than I have expected in the last quarter of the season that we've that we've been watching so far. What it is what is it about George? Can he continue this through the end of the season? He's getting a ton of snaps. He's getting a ton of experience. Could we see a George Karloftis surgeons in the playoffs? I I mean, what did we predict before the season? We thought he'd have five sacks. I think I said no more than five sacks. But yeah, I, I think mean, that's I what think you five said. sacks was a prediction. He's got 4.5 right now. Uh, it seems to be correct. He's had uh, two over yep. the last couple weeks. So, yeah, four and a half. So, I th- I think he's he's on pace for reasonable expectations. Um, I think he's coming along at the right time. And I mean, of course, he's going to progress as he goes throughout the season. And, you know, his best ball – coming at this time is exactly what we need. You know, if, if we see the best George Karloftis that we've seen so far in the playoffs, that's literally going to be best case scenario. And, you know, our hopes for our ultimate goal for the season are going to be that much closer. Yeah. Big game for him. The pass block have to start off. Great to see from him getting his hands up. I'm just glad he has a new sack celebration. <laughs> it wasn't the best, but damn, it's better than what he's been doing. <laughs> it was a little weird still. He has a whole offseason next season to, to get right. <laughs> I would I would much rather him not practice his sack celebrations and just continue to work on what he's doing. Maybe he can hit that ceiling that everybody's been talking about so far this year. There needs to be a conversation about one player in particular, one guy who has not lived up to the contract nor the trade that the Kansas city chiefs made for him in, in terms of the numbers in which we bought him for, he did come in. He was a very integral part of us winning the super bowl um, and has been downhill ever since that there needs to be a conversation about Frank Clark, a good conversation because he's playing well. I'm not saying bad. I'm not saying good. I'm saying there needs to be a conversation specifically because before the season started, everybody was ready to let him go. And I I believe all three of us were part of that group. Um, He wasn't worth the money that we had brought him in for. He most certainly wasn't worth the hundred million dollar contract. And um, to, to be able to re-sign and extend him in this way that was advantageous for us and gave him the bonuses. Should he be able to meet the number mark set in front of him now moving forward after this season does do we keep Frank Clark as a Kansas city chief? And is there possibility for even further extension, keeping him on the payroll? The only reason I would have said we should get rid of Frank Frank Clark before this season is because, or is if we could get something draft capital or something reasonable back in a trade. Um, I don't think I was in that camp considering the, 
the situation our defensive line was in coming into the season, Frank Clark was one of the guys we probably couldn't let go. Um, and just leaving ourselves with a bigger hole after, after letting him go. Um, but I, you can try to restructure his contract. Um, but I think you just kind of ride it out. I don't, I don't think there's much else we can do. And if he's going to contribute like he's contributed this season, there's no problem just letting it run its course. And with the draft coming up next year, getting more than likely getting some new guys on the defensive line throughout the offseason, he could play in a reduced role next year and possibly be more effective. I I think he's also extremely helpful when it comes to mentoring and coaching and giving advice to the younger guys. Um, so in that facet, he's all, I feel like he's also brought George Karloftis on uh, quite a bit. Um, the, the tandem of Frank Clark and Carlos Dunlap uh, kind of mentoring GK, Furious George. Here's here's what we're looking at for the contract of Frank Clark so far. This year he had a base of $3.3 million. We do have a potential out at the end of this season. We could cut him and have uh, $9 million in dead cap, but we would save $8.7 million. So about even with uh, what we could save versus what we would end up in dead cap. Um, as far as the 2023 season goes, if we are to keep him, we owe him uh, $28 million. That is a signing bonus and a base salary of $20.5 million, plus a roster bonus, all, all this good stuff. Uh, his cap hit is $30 million. We owe him uh, 28 in cash is what we'd own for the 2023 season. He will be 30 years old and he'll be an unrestricted free agent after the 2023 season. Would you guys feel comfortable extending, maybe be able to move that money, stretch it out in some way, shape or form over the next couple of years? Um, if he was willing to agree to some sort of deal in that form, would you guys, given what he's done and basically what is a contract year for him, would you want to keep Frank Clark around for the next couple of seasons, would you give him that extension uh, and, and move some money around? If it brings the overall salary cap price down for us over the years and it helps us make more moves, absolutely. Yeah, the $28 million doesn't sound too great, um, even for how well he's played. So best case scenario is some sort of restructuring or some sort of something that reduces that cap hit for sure. Um, but oh, I mean, the, the question to bring him back for like to cut him and incur, you know, a, a small difference or having to pay, like a, having to pay him 28 million and probably, elect to cut him but best case scenario i would say some sort of restructuring to uh just lessen the cap hit for sure we'll say the the cap gurus all over twitter um have done their research on the kansas city chiefs we've talked about it before the kansas city chiefs can have the fourth most cap room in this upcoming season for 2023 um 
there were structure deals, cut deals that would need to happen for us to get up to, I want to say it was, uh, it was over a hundred million dollars in cap space. Frank Clark being cut would need to be one of those deals that goes into having that much cap space. Mm-hmm. What else is, what, is there anything that I missed that went right for the Kansas city chiefs this week that you guys want to talk about? I mean, Jarek McKinnon has been killing it. Uh, he did not rush very well, but he had a good day receiving Travis Kelsey back out there, um, getting things done. Um, Anything that I missed? Uh, I think the 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 coverage looked better than it had uh, in recent weeks. Um, Gino did have some, did throw some dots out there. He did almost almost some pat throws out there. To be completely honest, where he put it in somebody's breadbasket where nobody could defend it. Um, but for the most part, the like DK and everybody were locked down. Um, I think it was a incredible showing by the defense all around, um, but the coverage definitely looked better than it had been uh, recently. Clearly, Seattle missing Tyler Lockett was a big loss for them. I think that could have been a large difference maker. Um, you see, when you look at uh, efficiency per play, Seattle Seahawks are one of the highest rated in efficiency. Um, and have not missed Tyler Lockett yet this season until this week. So uh, I, I would say that played a portion into it, but obviously the defense played well with just being able to get pressure on Geno and really disrupt whatever is happening downfield. Can I say one more thing that went wrong with this game? Yeah, go ahead. I'm bring it right now. Mark Sanchez on the broadcast. <laughs> Dude, it was so terrible. bad. Plastered on Twitter was just like, man, Mark Sanchez sucks. So bad. Worst commentating group we've had all year. It's all because of him. I didn't think that it could be worse for Mark Sanchez than the butt fumble. His broadcast, his play-by-play, color commentary, whatever he provides is worse than that butt fumble. Who's his partner? And and why is he in the booth? <laughs> I, I could what? not have. Is I he, couldn't tell. He's like he's clinging to butt fumble fame, and I don't know what network think that's like. That's a good angle for like people to be interested in a commentator, but he doesn't even make up for it with his content with with the way he <laughs> calls the games. <laughs> it's rough out here for him. Who are some of the heroes of the Kansas City Chiefs this week that maybe didn't get enough love uh, by the media? We got a little bit of love from you today, Tommy Townsend. That's an important for him to punt the ball. Punting stone, punting cinder blocks out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Tommy. I mean, yeah. Uh, the whole defensive line, um, plenty of people have called out individuals, um, but the defensive line, while they did give up over a hundred yards to Kenneth Walker, um, the pressure was there on Geno Smith all the time. George Karloff has got a sack. Chris Jones, um, stood out a little bit more than he had in the past couple of weeks, um, 
So, I mean, we the defense defensive line specifically looks like it's gelling at the right time. Um, if we're going to stay relevant, if we're going to beat good teams in the playoffs, um, the defensive line has to play even better. They have to continue to get better. They have to stay hungry. They have to continue to work out there um, because that's one of, you know, regardless if you have good quarterback cornerbacks or a good secondary at all, if you can get to the quarterback quickly and get him on the ground, you can win a football game, especially when you're looking at Patrick Mahomes on the other side of that ball. I have to agree. I think if I had to pick out one unsung hero from the defensive line would have to be Mike Dana. I say I, I put his name out there a lot, but the dude plays outside on for the edge rush. He played quite a few snaps on the interior right next to Chris Jones this week. And it was a disruptive factor no matter where you put him. That's a guy who's going to be a rotational piece that could work himself into being a little bit more than that um, should we miss a couple of guys going into next year. Uh, it's a guy who really works on his craft, and it is an absolute joy to be able to watch his improvement year to year, uh, staying healthy and, and being able to get a shot. Um, offensively, I'll take a page from Tybo's book, the entire offensive line. The entire offensive line. Patrick Mahomes was only sacked once for four yards. And uh, if I remember that play correctly, it's basically a coverage sack. Patrick had nowhere to go. Pocket collapsed. It just was what it was in that play. Only sacked one time. Uh, didn't really get pressured. Had no interceptions. And when it came to the run game, Isaiah Pacheco, 14 carries, 58 yards, 4.1 yards a carry. Derek McKinnon didn't do that great. Five carries on seven yards, 1.4. He was the only player in the backfield that did not get four or more yards per carry. Like I said, Isaiah Pacheco, 4.1. Patrick Mahomes, two carries, four yards per carry. Ronald Jones, one carry, four yards, four yards a carry. So that offensive line, kudos. We're getting things back on track. Um, that defense does well enough on being able to get pressures as well as coverage sacks. So we were able to bust some coverages. We were able to keep that defensive line at bay. We were able to pick up the blitzes. Offensive line did fantastic. Outside of the obvious amazing touchdown that we've already covered from Patrick Mahomes being able to touch the outside of the pylon, is there any other specific plays from this game that that stood out to you? Not really, no. <laughs> I mean, it was a great game, but Pat Pat's uh, absolute dime to Travis Kelsey. Uh, oh, the coverage was him. good. Oh, coverage man. was good. Like the coverage was like on his hip, uh, in his hip pocket the whole way. Yes, um, but he could, he didn't even see the ball get to Travis. It was just bloop, right where it needed to be. Oh, I will say Pacheco's uh Use of the blocks in this game. Him running off his he's, blocks, setting him up. He's getting so patient. He's getting so patient. He is using them phenomenally. I I don't know if I've seen like it usually it is a game to game progression. I think I can pick out maybe about four, five games ago where that just clicked in Pacheco's head, 
where it was, it wasn't like a game to game progression. It was literally one week. He is tracing, trying to force his way through every single hole that he can find or punch it outside. And then the very next week following it was, I am patient, like almost, almost Le'Veon Bell esque the way that he just sits patient hand on a hip finds the hole goes. It was, it, it's, it was one of the wildest things that I've seen because you don't see a game switch like that. in in a way that somebody plays in the NFL. Uh, for me, I'd like to point out the Kadarius Tony touchdown. We have found another red zone threat finally now that he's back healthy. The blocking on it was immaculate. Being able to juke a defender or two out on his way in for the eight-yard touchdown on the wide receiver screen. Um, we now finally, I don't know why it's taken so long, but we have three guys whose skill set all matches between McCall Hardman, Sky Moore, and Kadarius Tony on being able to do red zone threats in some in this system that Andy Reid runs, whether it's some sort of jet sweep or or screen, uh, whatever Andy Reid can put together. We've got three guys who have the same yet different skill sets that can uh, move the ball very effectively in that close quarter area. It's wonderful. It's really nice. Um, I think that's mostly what makes our offense so dangerous. You have Travis Kelsey holding down the middle and these extremely athletic players um, as options around him. Um, I I know all of Chiefs Kingdom, especially after this last game, is hoping that Sky Moore gets more snaps than Justin Watson. We need that. And I think we'll also see McColl come back. And so we'll start to see the snap count from Justin Watson start to go down. Um, just as we bring back McColl and need to integrate him into the offense before the playoffs. Kadarius Tony is starting to get healthy, put him back into the offense, give him more snaps, Sky Moore as well. I think we'll start to see the regression of Justin Watson out on the field every snap. Anything else that I missed from this week's game, boys? It was cold. If not, it was cold. It was cold. It's <laughs> been a cold week, but it is going to go up in temperature. It's going to go up over 60 degrees this week. We were in the negatives just a few days ago. On Thursday, it is going to be near 60 degrees in Kansas City. Wild times. Um, Dude, that sounds like heaven. I would. I will <laughs> suntan naked in my driveway. That sounds so good. Make sure you guys it's are been taking so your- freaking cold it's in my basement. Make sure you drive by Tabo's house on Thursday as well. Thursday. God, please no. What? <laughs> I do not want to see that. Um, you don't have to drive by my house. That good thing no, you I'm not. I'm, yeah. You can stop. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, That is what is probably the last competitive game that we're going to see the Kansas City Chiefs play in. The Seattle Seahawks still vying uh, for playoffs. I don't know if you can actually say that, but. Uh, I mean, that's that's fair. We do have two (laughs) AFC West uh, games coming up. They'll be competitive. Just one. You remember what the Raiders game looked like in Arrowhead? Uh, I don't want to. Uh, Uh, We got to do what we got to do. 
and the Bengals got to do what they got to do next week, baby. That's right. We need a lot of help, but we do have the Denver Broncos coming oh, up. I just one win. We just fired their head coach. Uh, so we'll have to see what that team looks like coming up on Friday when you hear from us next. It is again Donkey Week, and we they snaw. have been eliminated from the playoffs. They have they got nothing to lose. They have fired almost the entire coaching staff. We'll have to see what this team rolls with. Uh, but they still have Russell Wilson. They still have Russell Wilson, who absolutely who the entire team loves. The, the team is so behind Russell Wilson. They it's adore him. Funny. They're so behind Russell Wilson that they're literally fighting the backup quarterback on the sideline. Yeah. What are you going to do, Rip? Do something. Do something, Rip. Well, make sure to check us back out on Friday as we come back for a second round of Donkey Week as we take on the Denver Broncos. I believe that is a home game. Uh, It most certainly is. It'll be a noon game on CBS, so make sure that you're back for that as we try to wrap up this NFL season and take the number one seed headed into the playoffs. We'll catch you next time, and as always, go Chiefs. Go Chiefs! (laughs) Go Chiefs! Go Chiefs!